Well, I am so glad to be with you. Like, this is, this is so long in the making, right? We even tried to do this at Easter and be here all together. And then there were new limits that were put on to us here and the way they wanted to set up things. So we had to do two services so we couldn't even all be together. And I know that not everyone can be here today, but for, for those of you who are here and who are with us online, still uh, so glad that you're here. This really is a celebration. I wore a pineapple shirt today because if I were going to a party where it was warm, this might be what I would wear. Um, and so this really is is a great celebration because we're not celebrating Church 21 as an end in and of itself, but we're celebrating Jesus who planted and started Church 21 through our work and who keeps Church 21 going. And baptisms are happening, new people are meeting Jesus, new leaders are being formed, new locations are happening. Like it's just unreal what Jesus is doing. And this is why we wanted to be all together. Yeah. This is why we wanted you to be all together, because sometimes in our, in our gatherings, when we're like, wow, there's 20 of us here today, this is amazing, or it's like, oh, my family's here today. I remember one Christmas where I preached and played guitar that day, because there were three families, and that was our normal, right? That was our normal. And some of you are feeling that, like, is this thing going to grow? Like, what's going to happen? Is this going to go weird? Uh, probably not. It'll probably be fine. Uh, that's what Jesus does. He grows his church, and we have the unique opportunity to be one church in four different congregations led by really, really good people. And so I'm so excited for us to be here today. Um, as normal, I only have to preach one sermon today. Usually it's like three or four. So I saved all my energy for this, right? So I don't need to disperse it throughout the afternoon. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are building your church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Thank you for this place that can seat uh, most of Church 21. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, despite the hardships and circumstances that we have gone through and are still going through. You are going to remain faithful. You are not going to give up. Your mercies are going to be new every morning, as we saw in one of the hardest books of the Bible, Lamentations. And so would you cause for our hearts to explode with joy this morning around who you are and what we get to experience in you? Would you please speak to us? We love you. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Mark. We're back in the book of Mark. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been frustrated with life? No, not at all. Not at all. The past 18 whatever months have been amazing, absolutely incredible, right? It's been frustrating at times. We felt powerless. We have felt like, man, we don't have control over certain elements of life. And have you ever looked for deliverance out of it? Like, have you ever said, maybe I'll just move to Mexico? I've heard those words, right? Or maybe I'll just move to the States. Usually people in the States are trying to move to Canada to get away from whatever political candidate, right? But it's like, maybe I'll just move to the States, right? We're looking for deliverance somehow and in some way. And not just because of COVID, but being powerless, living in fear, being frustrated with life, looking for a way out. This is our, this is our reality. This is our world. Almost from the beginning, not precisely from the beginning, but almost from the beginning, we've been looking for a deliverer, something or someone to get us out of this mess, and so we're going to look at the first century this morning. We're going to look at it in the book of Mark, first century, Jesus with a few of his disciples. Because first century Jewish people, they understood all those questions that I just asked. 
they felt helpless. They were looking for a deliverer. They were living oftentimes in fear, and they felt powerless. And they were just waiting. They were waiting for, for the Messiah or this deliverer who is going to come and who is going to rescue his people. And we know the story of Christmas, don't we? That Jesus came quietly. That Jesus didn't come with everyone knowing. There wasn't a mass email that was sent out into all the earth, but rather quietly in this little corner of the universe called Bethlehem, Jesus was born. But now Jesus has, has these disciples that have bought into following him. And listen, they're finally figuring out that maybe, maybe you're actually him. Maybe you're the deliverer that we've been waiting for. So in Mark 8, verse 29, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. You're the deliverer. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And then Jesus strictly charged them, tell no one about him. Don't say anything about who I am yet. You see, the belief in first century Judaism is that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to rescue, but the disagreement was around how. Some people in first century were looking for a political leader, and, and we still feel that today, don't we? Right? Well, if you elect me as mayor, I'll save the world. It's like, oh, okay, we'll just vote for you then. Right? They were looking for a politician or a political uprising to be able to overthrow Rome and allow for them to have freedom. Or some thought that Jesus was going to be more like a zealot, that he was going to come full of zeal and with a sword, and he was going to take out whoever got in the way of the people of God's agenda. Everyone had their expectation of what this deliverer and who this deliverer was going to be. But let me say this, nobody, nobody expected what Jesus proposed. Let me read that to you in Mark 8, 31. This is all preamble to our text, and it's important. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Nobody expected this Messiah to, to die, and definitely no one expected this Messiah to rise and this Messiah, this deliverer in Jesus, he goes on to say what following me is going to be like. He called, them, he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? See, following this deliverer, the deliverer was going toward death and resurrection, which they didn't have a category for, and then following this deliverer was going to require denying themselves all the time. This was a constant command. You see, Jesus will not be an add-on. He will not. He will not be an add-on. That means when you come to Jesus, you come with your little ideology, you come with your identity, you come with your relationship status, you come with your citizenship, you come with your kingdom, you come with your pride, and you set it down and you say, all that was who I thought I was, now I want to follow you, and whatever you have to say about how life is going to be, I'm in. But that's a lot to do, isn't it? It's a lot to drop everything of who we've known ourselves to be at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to follow you. So the questions that would be going on in the followers of Jesus are this, are you worth it? 
Are you worth me losing all of these things? Are you valuable enough for me to reorder all of the, the things in my life around you? You see, that's a first question that we need to ask before we become a follower of Jesus, and it's a constant question that we ask as followers of Jesus. And so this text that Jordan read for us, it's an event for the disciples. Jesus didn't have to let them see what we're going to see this morning, and he didn't have to let us see what we're going to see this morning. But Jesus knew that these disciples needed to experience him in a very different way. And so he grabs three of his closest disciples and brings them up a mountain. So you can open your Bible to Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles that you can just take on your way out. It's not stealing when you take Bibles from this place. If you go to Indigo, they'll arrest you. Here, we'll clap for you, okay? Um, so Mark 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So six days, what's the six days? Why is that important? Well, that's just, just after Peter said, you're the deliverer, you're the Christ. And in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 9, so Mark is, is a gospel account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's another book in the New Testament called Luke. And so Luke accounts the same thing, but with different details. And in Luke's account, he tells us that as they went up the mountain, the disciples got really sleepy and, and just wanted to, to pass out. They were supposed to pray, but they were falling asleep. If you're ever like, man, I really wish I could pray more, but I keep falling asleep, you're in really good company because the people who were with Jesus couldn't stay awake either. But this idea of high mountains, right, Jesus taking people up to a high mountain, this often uh, happens where there happens theophanies in the Bible. Theophany is a revealing of who God is. That that's where Moses like climbs up a high mountain. Elijah climbs up a high mountain and God reveals more of who he is to these people. So there's anticipation. It's not just like climbing a high mountain with Jesus for a prayer meeting. It's what is Jesus going to teach us up here that he couldn't teach us down below. And so we keep going. And he was transfigured before them. Verse 3. His clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus is transfigured. This word is metamorphosis. It's a fun word, right? And it's this idea of, of complete change, showing a complete change. Now, here's what we believe about Jesus. Let's do fun big words this morning. Um, fun big word time and sermon. Neat segment. Uh, hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Uh, that just means that Jesus within himself was completely God and completely man. That's what we believe. And you're like, you're crazy. I'd say 18 years ago, I would have said the same thing. We believe that God is, Jesus is fully God and fully man and that these two natures coexist within Jesus. Now, when you would have seen Jesus like walking around as he was doing miracles or walking on water or eating a meal with you, which happened more often than walking on water as far as we know, um, he would have seemed very human, very normal. Maybe there were foods that he didn't like. Now, pass the turnips. I'm good with those. Bring on the leeks. I don't know. He would have seemed very, very human to us. But as he's up on this mountain with his closest disciples, the glory begins to leak out. The divinity, the godness of him begins to glow. Uh, when I was a kid, I had this thing called a glow worm. Did any of you have glow worms? Really weird, kind of creepy uh, thing. But basically, like, you leave them in the light, and then at, at night, they, they turn into this little green glowing thing that you don't need a nightlight because you have your glow worm. And the glow worm might eat you at night, but that's okay because he looks really cute. 
But Jesus, he's, he's glowing. And when we see people glowing in the Bible, doesn't happen very often, right? That's a good thing. Um, but Moses, as Moses would, would meet, when he would meet with, with God, he came back glowing because of who he met with. But Jesus is glowing because of who he is. This is like an alien encounter, right? You like sci-fi? God is the author of sci-fi. God's been doing this for a really long time. Dune has nothing on Mark 9, right? Dune's going to be epic. I'm sure it is. Books are great. But there's nothing on, on, on Jesus and how he reveals himself. It says that no one could, could bleach clothes this white. This is, this is otherworldly type of glory. We look for glory in all kinds of places. A, a promotion, a, a house, a certificate, a completing some, some sort of, of thing that we're supposed to do. And we feel really good and like, oh, that's glorious. And we put it up on our, on our wall. It's something that we have to attain, that we have to run after. It's from this world. But the glory that Jesus is bringing is one that he has held onto and had for all of time, in fact, before time even began. And he's allowing for this glow, this glory glow to leak out. And his disciples are terrified. He says they're terrified. Like, what? did you eat the nuclear pill? Like, what is going on? What is happening? And they're really alert now, right? They're very awake. In fact, if you see someone start glowing, I would say, please wake up and see what you can do for them. But we're just like the disciples, aren't we? That we're often sleepy. Like some of you are sleepy right now. That we're often sleepy until Jesus reveals himself. Until Jesus shows something about who he is that captures our attention in such a way that we have to fix our gaze on him. And so what I want to do for a little bit is I just want for us as Church 21 to stare at Jesus. I remember a friend of mine saying that um, there was a little curtain here where, where he was. And as he was preaching through the text in Mark, not this sermon, but in Mark, he said, I want for you to picture that, that Jesus is actually just behind this curtain, existing in the same glory that you're about to hear about in this text and that Jesus is wanting not to stay behind the curtain and we just do a little uh, religious gathering or service for him so that he's happy, but rather we want to invite him outside of the curtain that we might enjoy him and gaze at him and see him for all that he is. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to gaze at Jesus together. I want our hearts to be overwhelmed with him this morning. And so I'm just going to read a lot of the Bible to us. We're going to get a lot of Bible this morning because the Holy Spirit of God loves to use the Bible to reveal who Jesus really is. So let me read to you from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And let me say this, that the glory that Jesus has, that glowing glory, is that everything has been made by him and for him. You were made by him and you were made for him. You weren't an accident, like he had some extra product around. He's like, oh, I'll just take this heap of flesh and throw it in that belly and we'll see what happens. It's not how he rolls. He intentionally has made you and not just made you to exist, but made you for his glory, for his enjoyment of you. Listen to Colossians 1 verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning he's preeminent. Not that he was born like he did. He didn't exist, and now he exists, that he's preeminent over all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you know what this means? Right now, Jesus is in complete control in complete control of everything. Some of you are losing your minds because of the things that are happening internally or externally. And do you know what Colossians 1 tells us? He's in control still. He's got it. He's not worried. He's not fretting. He's not staying up late, like doing numbers, none of those things. He is completely content, and he is working out all things so that he might be seen most glorious, and we might enjoy him the best. That's what he's doing. He's intentionally working for your best. So do you know what that means for us? We can chill. You can rest. One of the greatest acts of worship is taking a nap with your arms up. Because during that nap, they're going to fall unless you're really weird. Right? That you have everything in control and you are holding all things together. And at just the right time, you're going to reconcile everything to yourself. The second thing about this glory is that this glory keeps value and it exposes imitations. This glory keeps value. Have you ever bought a stock and have been very frustrated because you're just not sure what it's going to do? And you're like, yeah, I invested real low, it went real high, I bought a lot real high, and it tanked. Stocks don't always hold their value, they're fickle. But this glory of Jesus, it's going to hold its value forever in this image that was given to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, its interpretation sure. Now, let me just throw this out to you. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Medes and Persians, the Romans. Do you know how many of those kingdoms are still flourishing? None. But do you know what kingdom is growing despite COVID? This kingdom that Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring my kingdom and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. You see, everything else loses its shiny. Everything else loses its value, but his kingdom holds steady. Let me read something else from Daniel 7. Remember, keep staring. Keep staring at him. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, says this. I saw night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples... Now, you have to hear this, right? The Old Testament is mostly written to a Jewish people. Now, listen to what's coming, this kingdom dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one 
that shall not be destroyed. His glory lasts forever and is for everyone. This means that Jesus, there's no one that's more inclusive than Jesus. You got to hear that. There's no one that's more inclusive than Jesus. Anyone and everyone is welcome to his kingdom. If you feel like you're not welcome, that's on you, not on him. That might be on some of his people. Like we might have projected something that's incorrect. You might have not understood something, but it's on, it's on you and it's on me if we feel rejected by him because we're not. We are invited and included into his kingdom. But in the same breath, I'll say this, that there's no one more exclusive than Jesus. That his glory to be tasted is really only for his people who are willing to come to him and enjoy him. Let me read John chapter 14, verse 6 where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. See, some of you, us, we have great plans for our life. We even involve God in some of those plans, and we tell God, we like to tell God how things are going to go. God, I'm going to move to this place. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to marry this person. You ever told that to someone, by the way? God told me to marry you. Really bad opening line, by the way, because um, oftentimes he doesn't tell them that, and you never talk to them again. But, um, but we have great plans for our lives, and we like to inform God of them, and then we get mad at him when he changes them on us. And we have plans for why God should accept us into his kingdom because I went to the all-church 21 gathering. I, I've given some money. I served. I was nice to my neighbor who's not nice to me. I do all these things. Of course, God is going to let me into his presence. But Jesus is saying it's not about that. You see, everyone is welcome, but you can only get through me. I am the doorman. And unless you're willing to allow me to bring you in on my terms, you can't come in. But by the way, it's free, all free, but it's just going to cost you everything. You're going to have to lay everything down there, and you're going to let me remake you for what's best. You struggle out here, but in there you get everything that's best and for my glory. You see, Jesus' way, his exclusive way, is into his love. And we're, we're thankful for some exclusive relationships, aren't we? I'm thankful for the exclusive relationship that I have with my wife. It's not like anyone, you know, come and be a husband or suitor. It's like that's exclusive. We're okay with that. But somehow when it comes to Jesus, when he gets exclusive on us, we're like, no, nah, this is too weird. I thought all roads led to God. But all these roads are very different. And Jesus is saying, all those other roads tell you what you need to do. I tell you what I'm going to do for you. It's been done for you. That's the glory. And you might be thinking, this just seems too good. It seems too good to be true. And it's like, yeah, it seems that way, but, but it's reality. This is what Jesus is inviting you in. And finally, this glory is one that's able to captivate our hearts forever. Revelation 5, verses 11 and 14. The end of the Bible, this is what it says. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. You can't even count how many are there. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Now that lamb is Jesus 
So worthy is Jesus who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then the author says, I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to Jesus be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever, and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down, and Worshipped In other places in Revelation, we see all the people of God together saying, holy, holy, holy. Like they can't believe how good and how beautiful and how wonderful and how benevolent and how glorious Jesus really is. We fit our Jesus into a few minutes a day in our quiet time. And Jesus is like, for all of time, even when time is done, there's enough of me to behold forever. There's enough to explore forever. Jesus will never bore us. Jesus will never bore us. We'll never look at him and be like, yeah, I saw that yesterday. I've seen a lot of sunsets, and every single time I run past a sunset or see a sunset or see a sunrise, I'm tempted to try and photograph it. I'm tempted to try and capture it. And, and I'm always so disappointed with, with the capturing of it. Right? It, it never fully grasps or gains what, what was really going on. They don't bore us. And Jesus, his, his glory is going to captivate us forever. And so here's what being a disciple of Jesus is. It's staring at Jesus all the time and letting him change us. It's an eternal allegiance to, to Jesus and eternal joy and, and peace and power. And it's one that death can't take away. See, let's go back to our passage in, in Mark. In Mark chapter 9, verse 4, we get this weird thing that happens. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you would know that Moses was dead already, and Elijah had been pulled up to heaven in a very rare account, right? Not living on earth anymore. But somehow, they show up back on this mountain talking to Jesus. What is going on there? Well, one, in a simple simple manner, it's that Jesus has eternal friendships with these people already. Jesus is about to do something massive, and do you know what he does? He's like, I want to talk to Moses and Elijah about this. I want them to come down on the mountain so that they can hear about what's going to happen. And he's also doing this in front of his three closest friends and companions on earth. Right? It's, it's this family of God uniting but they come to talk. And what do they come to talk about? Well, Luke 9, 30 and 31 says that they come to talk about Jesus' exodus. His exodus. Now, if you know the story of the exodus, you know that the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. And God came in and did like, the story's crazy. And he brings these people out of slavery and into freedom. And it's like, wow, could life get any better than that? Is there a better exodus than that? And Jesus is saying, yes, and I'm about to bring it. Right? I'm going to bring this better exodus, not out of Egypt, but out of sin, suffering, and death. And I'm going to bring it not just for one people group, but I'm going to bring it for all people groups. And I'm going to bring a freedom, real freedom. Some of you are upset because freedoms that, that we think we had or thought we had or wish we had are, are at stake, and it frustrates us. Well, the freedom in the kingdom of God is, is completely free. Like, you're really, really free to enjoy him because of what Jesus has done. 
that we're brought into family, that we're forgiven for everything we've done, do, and will do, and that we have a future and, and a father that's going to love us and care for us and provide for us for all time. And this exodus that Jesus is talking about is going to bring that forth. But here's the thing. This exodus is going to come in a very bewildering way. Bewildering way. Listen to Mark 9, 5, and 6. So Peter's sitting there. He's watching everything go down. Like Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah show up with some sort of glory. And Peter speaks. Peter said to Jesus, Master or teacher, it is good that we are here Let us make three tents, one for you, for Moses, and one for Elijah, for he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. You see, Peter, he thought the kingdom was here now. He thought all of history was wrapping up right here and now, and so he's like, well, it's it's the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, when, when we were reminded of when God brought us out from Egypt, and so we live out in booths for a little while to be reminded of the the exodus. And so Peter's like, let's celebrate that together as everything begins again. And then these two voices speak. Listen to the first voice in verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them, overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. See, this cloud wasn't one that was like way up there that was speaking to them. It's like being caught in a mist or a fog, right? You can't see much around you. You're overwhelmed. You're enveloped. And that's how God works. God's not sitting in a cloud in the corner of the sky trying to yell, but he just can't get the amplification he needs because of the wind. He envelops us. He's here. He's here in this place with us. He's enveloping us right now where he wants to. That he's not a God of, of distance, but of imminence. And he, he actually wants for you to feel his proximity to you. God is not opposed to feelings. That he wants for you to know that he is here right now. And he's saying the same thing to us that he's saying to his disciples here. Listen to my son. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Let him reorder your life. Not what you want but what he wants because he is always going to do what is good, right, and true. He is always going to lead towards what is best. So my question to you is, do you let Jesus speak into the ordinary things of life? Do you take time and let Jesus envelop you? Right now, are you just waiting for me to move on to the next point? Or are you willing to say, Jesus, I want for you to envelop me, and I want, you, I want to hear what you have to say to me right now, because your words are going to be far better than Dwight's words. Your words are far better than the words from the person next to me talking about where we're going to eat later on. Your words are ones that are going to bring eternal life. Do you let him speak, or do you talk all the time because you have all the good ideas for him? Do you let him talk into the ordinary life? Is he leading you or are you the exception to the rule? Are you the exception that has things right? That, yeah, yeah, I know that the word says this, but I see things differently and I'm going to choose to say no to those things because I want life to look this way. You see, we find out really quickly that we're either pursuing the, the temporary the thing that will satisfy us for a moment, or we're pursuing the eternal. And this first voice says, listen to my son. And then the second voice in verse 9, 
as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. I already mentioned this, but there's no category for this. Sometimes we look back at people in biblical times, and they're like, oh, such silly people, they believed in resurrection. No one believed in resurrection. Never have people believed in resurrection in the moment. Now, they believed in resurrection at the end of time, that one day all, re- all people will rise from the dead. Many Jews believed in that, but they didn't believe in it in the middle of time. So we can't look and be like, silly disciples, you believe these silly things. They didn't get it. They believed in miracles. They liked the forgiveness part. They liked when Jesus provided lunch and multiplied it. They liked that part of Jesus. But this, the question that would have gone on in them is, what do death and resurrection have to do with the deliverer of all of God's people? That makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. They struggled to grasp this. They struggled to accept it. They're trying to figure out, well, what, what did you really mean when you said risen from the dead? So the question is, what do you struggle to accept about Jesus' words? What do you struggle to accept about Jesus' words? And what words don't you believe? What words that God has said don't you believe? Let me, let me remind you of a few of them. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But some of you don't believe that. You believe like Jesus has left you. And he's kind of laughing and mocking you, watching as you try and figure things out in this world. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus says, fear not. Multiple times. And yet so many of us, we don't believe that those words are for us. We say, yeah, but Jesus surely didn't mean in this way. That as we're looking at Jesus, the fear, the fear resides. As uh, I've told this story probably uh, several times, but swimming lessons, I stand in the pool. Stella, our youngest child, uh, she was nervous about jumping off the side. But yet when I would lock eyes with her and she believed that I was actually going to catch her and not trick her and let her head go under so that she'd pass the the course, um, when she knew I was going to catch her, it was like it it didn't matter. All the fear was gone in the world. My kids have done crazy things when they have dad's approval to do it. They've probably done crazy things that I don't know about as well. But fear not. Fear not. Another thing Jesus says, you're my beloved. I love you. And, and some of you feel like you need to perform for Jesus' love. You've been trying so hard. You believe that he rescued you from your sin, but that he couldn't love you because of what you still struggle with or what you did this morning or last night or what you're trying to stop. But his words to you are, you're my beloved. When are you going to believe that? When are you going to know that you can't make me unlove you? That I have made you lovely and no one can take that from you. Jesus says, I will never change. Some of you think that God changed the plan on you. Some of you think that God is now out to get you. We looked at that in Lamentations, didn't we? But Jesus says, I, I've never changed. And some of you are wondering, is Jesus' life and death and resurrection actually sufficient for me? Or do I need to do more? Do I need to do more? You see, you might affirm some of these intellectually, but they don't lead your life because we want to keep control. We want to keep control. We want to be right. How many times do you find yourself in the day talking to someone or engaging with someone just wanting to show them that you're right? You can let go of that. Jesus is the only one that can make you right. 
He's the only one that can right all of the wrongs that you've done and make you right with him. We try to avoid all pain. But sometimes Jesus invites us into pain so that we would be changed. We would be changed. As a surgeon is going to change you or fix you, there's pain involved, isn't there? And it's for our good. Some of you just struggle so hard to believe that God could ever accept you. That he could ever be delighted in you and not be embarrassed by you. See, but here's the thing. Jesus never struggled to accept you. It was costly for him, but he gladly did it. His exodus involved him coming and living a perfect life, dying on a cross for you and because of you, and then rising again so that you and I could have eternal enjoyment of him and that we could find eternal value, meaning, and purpose. And when you find that and when your eyes are fixed on him, you'll endure anything. You'll endure anything. When your eyes are fixed on the end of a project, on the end of of a race, on the end of whatever it is, you can endure almost anything because your eyes are fixed there. Jesus says, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Encounter me. So as we wrap up, let's ask a few things. What do you need to bring up the mountain today? What do you need to bring up the mountain? His disciples brought all kinds of ideas about how this was going to go with Jesus. And they, they had their ideas completely changed and flipped on them. What do you need to bring up the mountain today? And what do you need to hear from him? What do you need to hear Jesus say to you? We believe that, that God still speaks today. What do you need to hear from him? You see, no matter what it is that you bring up the mountain, as embarrassing or frustrating as it is, here's what he'll say. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I'm so pleased with you. I love you. And I know you're struggling with this. I know your doubts around this. I know the complications of this. But none of that has a bearing on my love for you. And so let me send you back down the mountain to, to enjoy me and to enjoy my calling upon your life. You see, the sirens, they sang a song that led to destruction, didn't they, in Greek mythology? But God has a siren song too. And his siren song lures us to a cove of destruction where our petty pursuits are destroyed so that we can fully enjoy him. Our fear in the cove of God's siren song, our fears are destroyed and dismantled. Our our obsession with control, our desires for comfort outside of him, he lures us into this cove so that he can destroy these things and bring us up the mountain and remind us of who we actually are in him again so that we can fully enjoy him. Did you know that that God one day is going to stand up and he's going to sing a solo over his people? The book of Zephaniah talks about him standing up and singing with delight over all of his people. He's going to invite his people on stage, and he's going to bless us. Like, that's outstanding. And that's not because of how awesome you were. It's because of who he is and what he's made you into. We sing the song, he is jealous for me. And then we try and describe love of God. But God is jealous for you. Jealous that that you and I so easily give in to things, that he wants your affections because he is what's best. 
So let me wrap up with this. Right now, we don't live in a mountain with Jesus. We live in a city that proclaims to have a mountain, right? Um, Not really a mountain. It's kind of a big hill. But we don't live on a mountain with Jesus. But you live every day infused with his spirit. And right now, what's most true about you is that you are enveloped in the presence of God. You live in this cloud right now. You might not feel it. You might not feel like that's your experience in life, but right now that is most true. The Spirit wants to sail us into this destruction cove to lose fear and to take us up the mountain to let Jesus embrace us. And this is our daily call. This is our daily call as Church 21. Our, our desire is to see more and more people across the city meet him. And our daily call is to take your little boats. You know, I grew up just outside of Portland, Maine, and there are all these little dinghies. Now, dinghy is the boat you get in to, like, go out to your sailboat or to your larger boat. And the daily call is to let your, your dinghies that are full of, of petty glory that won't last and to allow those to sail off into that cove of destruction, be destroyed, be free from that so that you can actually enjoy him fully. And allow for the Spirit to piggyback you up the mountain and stare and enjoy Jesus, that you are no longer a slave to fear, but you are children of God. You're children of God. So you can let these little dinghies go. Let them go into the cove of destruction and let the Spirit piggyback you up the mountain and fixate on Jesus. So Church 21, how do we respond to this? Well, fix your eyes Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to keep doing this throughout our our gathering. But as we leave here, we keep our eyes fixed on him. We keep our eyes fixed on him. We see his heart for us. As we're engaging with him in his word, we see his heart for the city. That as Jesus walked into cities, he wept over their state. And then he brought his power to them to bring renewal and to bring revival. That, That God's heart for the city is one where he would be proclaimed and named and enjoyed. And he's not just going to do that by sending a cloud. He's going to do that by sending you and your normal everyday things of life to enjoy him in front of people. And don't get caught up in the storms of secondary importance. Don't allow for the fear to overcome you. Bring that fear back to the cove. Let him destroy it and run up the mountain. Look at Jesus and let him say, I love you. You're mine. That struggle doesn't define you. And I'm sending you back down full of faith and hope that I'm not done with you. And so let me invite the the music team up and we'll respond um, this way. I want for you to respond in freedom this morning. Real freedom. It's, It's yours. That you can enjoy him. You can enjoy him. That he wants to be your friend. That as we're singing... Would you please uh, bring your worries to him? Take, take some time to not sing. Bring your worries to him. Bring your fears. Bring your concerns. Bring your doubts. Bring your resistance. Like, bring it up that proverbial mountain to him. Set it down. Say, I don't know how to handle these things, but I need you to do it, and I need you to change me and send me back down the mountain full of hope. And so we're going to respond in freedom. We're going to respond um, by singing and declaring who Jesus is. And this is, this is meant to be a big party. Remember, I wore my pineapple shirt. 
Like, this is meant to be a big deal that we collectively, this is just a little taste of what we're going to experience for all of eternity. Not that all of eternity is going to be a worship gathering, but in a very real sense it is because everything we do in the new heavens and new earth is going to be worship, whether it's singing, whether it's riding wolves, whether it's uh, playing badminton, whether it's climbing trees that are taller than the ones we, I don't know what we're going to do in the new creation, but everything is going to be to his glory and it's going to be all about him. And if you haven't met him, oh, would you meet Jesus today? I remember 18 years ago when Jesus broke into my apartment. I was all by myself. It felt like he broke in. I didn't have a very weird, like, thing, but it felt weird. And it was like I I experienced the love of God in a very visceral way, and I understood that Jesus took my rebellion onto himself on the cross. And that he rose from the dead for me, for messed up people like me. And it was like someone gave me a new heart and a new mind and new desires. And I, and I actually love people. And from that day forward, um, I, I've wanted to tell people about Jesus. And so that's what I'm doing today, right? Telling people about this Jesus who rescues messed up people like me and allows for messed up people like me to become proclaimers of his mercy to a city that doesn't yet know the gracious and merciful God that we, that we worship. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, oh, would you meet him today? Stephen's going to be over there. Uh, he'll pray for you if you need prayer. But if you want to know, and how do I pray to meet Jesus today? Would you go talk to Stephen? Maybe there's some other people that could go over there as well. would love to pray for you. Kids are coming back in, which means it's going to be a party. Um, and so let me invite you to stand. I'll pray, and then we will worship through song. King Jesus, thank you that you are alive. The gates of hell will not prevail against what you're doing. Jesus, your voice uh, was, wait until I've risen from the dead, and you're alive, and so now we can tell. We can tell everyone. And the first voice that came from your dad was, listen to Jesus. And so we want to listen to you. We want for you to speak to us during this time. Uh, would you take the words that were just spoken, and would you light our hearts on fire with who you are, and that our temporary time of worship and song here is just a, a drop in the bucket of the worship that you are worthy of. Worthy, worthy, worthy of you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy are you, the one who came and did what we couldn't do for ourselves and who is alive. Would you bring revival to our hearts and revival to the city? Would you please make Montreal the most reached place in the world? Would you allow for multiple churches to be planted? Would you allow for uh, multiple ministries to start? Would you begin with us? Today, would you speak significant things to our hearts as we're worshiping you about what you have for us in this city? Maybe some people need to move to the city. Maybe some people need to stay. Maybe some people need to be equipped to leave with, with your gospel so that it, it goes into new places. But would you speak your life in words of affirmation this morning? We love you and we need you for everything, King Jesus. Amen.